The World Pride Festival kicked off in Sydney recently. It's the first time the city has hosted the event with thousands gathering in appreciation of the LGBTQIA plus community. The event coincides with the annual Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras. It's been 35 years since the first Indigenous float joined the celebrations in 1988, an important moment in the push to increase visibility of Indigenous members of the rainbow community. And if that isn't enough, a new groundbreaking collection of First Nations Australian LGBTQIA plus poets, writers and storytellers has been released. Edited by Alison Whittaker and Stephen Lindsay Ross, Nangame Mana Jurali or Dream Gather Grow, First Nations Australian LGBTQIA plus SB poetry provides an opportunity for the queer Indigenous community to find their voice. Alison and Stephen, join me now. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Now, Stephen, it's been a long time since we've had you on the program. So I wonder if you could share with us where you grew up and what shaped your worldview. I am a Wamba Wamba queer man from Denaliquin in southern New South Wales. And I have a bloodline connection to Gundijmara, Wiradjuri and uh, the Muddy Muddy peoples from down south as well through my grandmother. So I spent a lot of time growing up down south around the Murray River and College, our river in Deniliquin. But I moved back and forth between uh, Sydney uh, and Deniliquin. So kind of have a bit of um, country and a bit of rock and roll. <laughs> a foot in both worlds, as we like That's to right. say. Um, and Alison, you obviously have many talents, but one of them is writing, writing poetry and writing in general. How did you get into that form of creative expression? My journey towards writing poetry, I guess, uh, began with the Black and White Project in Queensland, where I was mentored under the tutelage of another First Nations queer poet, uh, Ellen Van Nieven, and edited also by Grace Lucas Pennington, a, a Bunjalung poet uh, and editor who now heads up the Black and White Project. Um, and for me, it was so exciting. The, the first collection of poems I wrote was called Lemons in the Chicken Wire. And at the time... Um, even though there was this massive precedent of First Nations queer and trans writing uh, behind me, it felt like maybe there was just beginning to be, um, uh, I, I guess, a small crack in the door that mob were really ready to kind of burst through and more fully emerge on the scene to take control of the conversations about us and our own lives. Uh, and back in 2016, when Lemons and the Chicken Wire came out, it um, felt with a couple of other queer First Nations books on the shelves, like it was, um, uh, I wouldn't say isolated, but yet to kind of reach that um, that recognition or that cognizability to a mainstream readership uh, and to see over the last couple of years the, the massive groundswell of work that First Nations queer people have been doing through poetry and through writing especially to, to become legible and to diversify the conversations uh, about ourselves and to also prioritise talking to each other about poetry, ideas, contesting them amongst ourselves. It's so thrilling and exciting. Um, it's really special to reflect on that today. Stephen, I was going to ask you about what drew you into the arts, and I do want you to answer that question, but I'm struck <laughs> listening to um, Alison that, um, 
you know, you actually were a generation before her and a lot of the work that you've done in the creative industries is also about just creating space for First Nations people. It's a very different era that you started doing this work in. But what originally drew you in to wanting to work in uh, the creative industries arts space? I think it's just being surrounded by people who immersed themselves in culture. All my uncles played musical instruments um, that they learnt themselves by rote, and they're all incredible singers. I went to Naisda in 1993 for a couple of years, and again, I think just being surrounded by people that have just been creative. I kind of lent into writing right throughout my uh, you know, high school and primary school years, and then really nurtured and encouraged by the beautiful Anita Heiss, who asked me to submit a couple of poems for a book uh, she edited uh, in the 90s, I think. It was about writers living on Gadigal country, and I submitted a couple of poems uh, to that uh, anthology. So, yeah, it's just being immersed and I guess being part of a culture where arts and cultural practice and song and dance are just part of who we are and how we express ourselves and how we live. Alison, I just wanted to also ask you about how your um, experiences studying law, going to Harvard, also shaped your perspective. Because you know you you bring a diversity of um, interests and experience, and you you work you know on some very difficult, very hard social justice issues, mm. and then also write this this beautiful, miraculous poetry. And I, I wonder from your perspective how those different parts of your professional life, your creative life, your intellectual life come together. It's a fantastic question. And it's also, it's one I, I get a lot. I think a lot about lo- the, the way that mob have mobilised, particularly using poetry and quote-unquote protest writing as a way of litigating uh, on the public stage uh, demands, political demands that emerge from our own sovereignty that are not necessarily cognisable to settler Australian law. And I see any kind of, I guess, legal work, whether that be direct service or strategic litigation, sitting really neatly alongside the the public battle of ideas that's fought largely by mob, um, using poetry, as Stevie said, using dance and song. These two things, I think it's so necessary that they work together ultimately because our power, I suppose, as litigants, whether that be in courts, whether that be in the public domain, is the extent to which that we can build and organise with one another. And I see poetry as a really useful tool for doing that, for bringing people together. Um, So, yeah, I suppose that's how I'd answer that. Obviously, there's been an evolution over time, but there are still obviously a lot of issues Um, a lot of barriers, a lot of conversations that still need to uh, happen. How do you navigate issues around Indigenous identity, culture and sexuality? I think over time, um, when I was a a younger person, I saw these two parts of myself as almost being kind of violently torn from one another and I was trying to find a way to, to kind of bring them back together within myself. But as I've gotten older, as I've become more secure in my identity, 
um, and also as um, the the public conversation as well as our, our private ones have become more more sophisticated and grounded, I think that conversation within myself has become easier and I no longer see those two things as being artificially separated, which I think is what a, a lot of earlier discourse would kind of have us believe. And part of that realisation, um, as, as Stevie was referring to, um, was remembering the the mass um, the mass effort that brought us to this place that hasn't just been happening now. A lot of young First Nations queer and trans people are given this narrative of exceptionalism that we've just emerged on the scene now, or that you know we are uh, pushing back against things that had never been pushed back against before, and obviously that's just untrue. Uh, I was looking at the, the exhibition that Stevie curated uh, related to the anthology we'll be talking about today. Uh, and a part of that exhibition in Bumali was um, a, a huge printout of a letter that was sent in 1993, which is the year that I was born in, uh, asking um, Bumali to collaborate on an exhibition for gay and lesbian queries. And I kind of sat with this letter, which is kind of blown up to the size of the wall, and it was also taller than me in that time. Uh, and it was such a potent reminder that um, this fight, not just for inclusion, but to have our own radical imagination for what it means for us as First Nations queer and trans people, I it was humbling. And um, in, in moments like these, you remember that often individualised conversations about identity are so small when we think about the bigger question of how we as queer and trans mob relate to one another. And I think that's, um, that's my position now. The new collection of poetry from members of the First Nations LGBTQIA plus community has been released, as we've been mentioning. Where did the idea come from to put this collection together? This idea... Um, I jumped on it a little bit later down the track, uh, but it came from the revitalization of black books at Tranby, so black books being a community-led uh, black publisher, uh, and Tranby Aboriginal College, of course, being uh, the absolutely <laughs> enormous uh, institution that's had so much impact on black public life here today. The idea was that we would create an anthology um, so that when World Pride came around and there was uh, almost a, a kind of a laser focus on First Nations mob and our culture, that we would have words gathered together to be able to show the world who we are uh, and to be able to speak on our own behalf. Um, and that's, of course, happening in Sydney World Pride, not just on the page, not just in this anthology, but elsewhere as well in, in Carriage Works and the black space that's been created there, as well as everywhere that mob kind of appear in Sydney World Pride. But the, the process of gathering it together moved me, I think, in, in ways that I was very surprised as someone who's been writing um, poetry for a little while and who's also been collaborating with other uh, queer First Nations poets to see just the massive submissions that we received um, and the the ways in which those works had relationships to one another. There was this moment where Stevie and I were in Tranby uh, with Tony Duke, who has been um, really championing and managing uh, this project at Black Books, uh, with all of the poems printed out on A4 pieces of paper lined up across a massive table and just the enormity of... Um, 
uh, intellectual rigor, imagination, passion, power, smuttiness, uh, delight, joy, rage. It was all there. Um, and it, yeah, I guess for me really underscored the importance of this being part of the voice that we present to the world while there's um, so much queer and trans attention on here, on Sydney and Gadigal country and Darug country. Might bring you in now, Stevie, just to get your reflections on why for you this collection was so important and what the curating process meant for you. I was approached early on by Tony Duke from Black Books to write, to, to be part of something, and we, we weren't sure. And he, I think his original idea was something around like a similar to a queer stories type um, model where, you know, writers would, you know, talk about um, their experiences, but, you know, kind of long form and um, prose rather than uh, the anthology the way it is now. And I'd, I've always loved poetry and I've, you know, loved um, uh, the urgency of poetry and mm. all the other descriptors Alison uh, just said. And uh, so I suggested, you know, I think that's a better approach. I think it's different. And as it turned out, it's the first queer uh, First Nations poetry anthology. Um so the curatorial processes uh, Alison alluded to kind of uh, validated all of that, that they were just incredibly beautiful, profound works. Um, I don't know if easy is the right word, Alison, but the curatorial process just like it was so joyful mm. and we were just so taken aback by the number and the quality of the mm. works that it just felt like a, just to be part of just a beautiful process uh, it kind of just flowed, don't you think? It just kind of happened. Yeah, it was a joyful gig to be part of. Obviously, everyone listening is going to want a copy. How can they get one? Yeah, absolutely. You can go to <laughs> blackbooks.online um, and, and find the shop there. Yeah, or you can go to any reputable bookseller and maybe some unreputable ones. Mm. It's wonderful. And you, it's almost like you are world pride with all of those projects. But thank you both for being on Speaking Out. It's You're pleasure. welcome. Happy Pride. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.